Hello and welcome to the final and 12th episode of season one of Storytime for Weirdos. This one is called Early Release. He stood in the yard in gray sweatpants and an oversized white button-down. He squinted in the sunlight and tottered away from the doors of the prison, a duffel bag in one hand and the other pulling a small oxygen tank on wheels. A dark blue late-model Lexus pulled through the gates. He waved and limped out to meet it on the driveway. A woman in her late 30s Her blonde hair, only just starting to show some gray, emerged from the driver's side. Dad, she said, leaning in for a hug and a peck on his cheek. Oh, honey, you're as beautiful as ever, he said, especially now. She opened the door to the back seat and helped him in, placing the duffel bag on the seat next to him and situating the oxygen tank on the floor. She got into the driver's seat and pulled out of the front gate. Of the prison. The car turned onto the main road, besides which a handful of news vans were parked. A few cameras flashed as they rolled by. Inside the car, the radio played the Eagles, and he stared out the window, ignoring the muffles, muffled requests for an interview. The song ended, and a news report came on. It was about him and his release from prison. Turn that crap off, he snapped. The woman switched off the radio. How's your mother? he asked. Dad, let's not do this, she replied. I only picked you up because no one else can. He grunted, as if amused by her turn of mood. They rode the rest of the way in silence. The car pulled into a driveway of a bland McMansion. We'll have to get out here. Tom has been working on the garage, she said, before she shut off the car and got out. She opened the back car door and helped him with the duffel bag and oxygen tank. Thank you, dear, he said, as she handed him the duffel bag. How's your brother? You mean B, she asked, her voice sharp. He's in Europe with his mother. The other two are in federal prison. I didn't hear from him after the divorce, he said, ignoring her tone. I want to know how he's doing. How's his life? He's fine her tone softening. He's a teacher. He's coaching soccer. Good, good. He likes soccer, he replied, walking up the walkway to the front door. She got him settled in the spare bedroom on the first floor, and he joined her in the kitchen. Can I get you anything, she asked. Water? Tea? No, thank you, he replied. How's work? I have a J.D., but no bar will admit me, so I'm a legal secretary. But work's fine, Dad. It's just fine. She was angry again. Her early sympathy evaporated. Honey, I'm sorry, he said. They were out to get me, to destroy me, and you got caught up in it. No one was out to get you, Dad, she said, exasperated. You broke the law. Everyone broke the law. That's why they're all in prison. You'd be there, too, if you weren't old and dying. He looked down. She'd never have spoken to him like that before. Things had changed. He'd lost everything. 
I've got to start dinner, she said. Why don't you go watch TV? He shuffled into the living room and turned on the television. He flipped through the channels. Honey, which one is Fox News? He yelled from the couch. That's been off the air for five years, Dad, she replied, walking out of the kitchen. Didn't you have TV in prison? No media, he said. The judge said no electronic media. I didn't have TV or computers. It was bad. I even read a few books. He smiled at the last, thinking it was a pretty good joke. The news program played a clip of the blue Lexus pulling out of the prison gates. The reporter explained that he'd been allowed early release due to old age and illness. They watched the clip in silence, and then a diaper commercial came on. Do you think the press will come here? he asked. No one knows where I live, she replied. How'd you manage that, he asked, with the internet and cameras everywhere. Well, Dad, I'm in witness protection. At this point, there's not much to protect me from, but right after you went in, a lot of your people didn't like me very much, she said, as a mix of spite and remorse played across her face and tone. I see how that could be the case, he said, taking the betrayal in stride. Didn't know that you knew that much of what went on. I know you think I'm a disappointment, she said bitterly, but I wasn't stupid. I told them what I knew, and I stayed out of jail. You did what you had to do, he said. It was as much forgiveness as he'd ever offered anyone, but she was beyond asking for forgiveness. Dinner will be ready in an hour. Tom should be home by then. She was dismissive again, walking back into the kitchen. He went into the bedroom and unpacked his duffel bag. Some clothes, a red tie, a pair of keys for what he could not remember. A file was stuffed full of papers and photographs. He looked through the papers, mostly letters from supporters and friends. There were photos of him with his family and at various events. There was one of him shaking the hand of a man in black robes his ex-wife beside him. They stood on a stage overlooking a large field, the grass brown in the January rain. There were a handful of people scattered on the field, huddled under umbrellas against the cold drizzle. He sat on the bed and stared at the photo for a long time. Biggest crowd in history, he said, without a trace of irony. I hope you have enjoyed episode 12, uh, season 1 of Storytime for Weirdos, and the last episode of this season. We've decided to give Dan Wilson's copyright lawyer a break this month, and I hope you enjoy the outro music.